0: Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Horror Weekly, the greatest slasher film ever made. We asked more than half a million horror fans online what the best slasher film of all time is, and we're here with their answers and ours. And I'm really excited about this episode because my affection for the slasher subgenre has done nothing but grow over time, which kind of surprises me because... I mean, some subgenres I got a little tired of. Maybe I've returned to them, but like, you know, found footage. um, I'm a big fan of some found footage things. I like Blair Witch Project a lot more than probably a lot of you listening. Um, I love Troll Hunter. I love Lake Mungo. But the thing is, I can feel the strain now of directors trying to figure out a way to make Uh, that genre new or find a twist on it or a way to reformat it. And it kind of sucks because even sometimes those movies are really good, but um, I could just feel it's like, it's like a, a pipeline that's too narrow or a garden hose that's too narrow at the base and the water struggles to come out, right? Like there's, the, the found footage bracket is so strict and so restrictive to the director and the writer that it makes it really hard to do something new with it. I got really tired of like the conjuring type of paranormal horror, whatever that sub 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 genre um, is. But like my favorite genres like uh, classics, which is what I grew up with, or psychological horror um, I, they've just grown in my affection over time and slasher genre would not have been one that a much younger me would have predicted would be one that just grew with my, um, ad admiration over time, but it has the best way I can illustrate why is so we're going to talk about a couple movies today. And I'm really excited to go through the voting because the movie that I suspected would win one, but just barely, and then we have like a eight way tie for a second place, which is kind of remarkable. I, I was my mind was blown, but um, the the ones that clustered at the top weren't ex- exactly in the order I suspected they were going to be. So I can't wait to get to the voting, and like there were just really genius comments um, from people who were really passionate fighting for their movies. This is one of those uh, questions that we asked via post where the average comment was like a paragraph (laughs) in length. Some of them are just the movie title or maybe just a sentence or like a haiku (laughs) at best. But these were like people who are like at mock court (laughs) into like arguing for their defendant. So I find that really cool. And that's all coming up in the episode. But The way I can illustrate why my affection for the slasher genre has grown. um, Here's the best way I can illustrate it, right? Is um, some of the movies we're going to be talking about are lower down in the voting or movies that I'm just choosing to uh, discuss because I want to throw them in. And some of them, a couple of them at least, are directed by directors who um, either didn't do very many horror movies at all. Um, And did cl- like literally classic films like classics as big as something like Cape Fear or you're not going to believe this chitty chitty bang bang of all things or of human bondage or like movies that are you know like you could double bill with like Casablanca and those directors when they came in to do slasher movies. They they had to admit to themselves that they were making horror movies and they had to throw themselves full into it. It is not always that case when directors outside the genre come in to make movies. The, the example I always think of and give is Mike Nichols, who's one of the greatest Hollywood directors and writers and creative forces of all time. Um, When he made the movie Wolf with Jack Nicholson and Michelle Pfeiffer, Christopher Plummer, um, James Spader. So um, I really believe in my heart that he didn't feel like he was making a horror movie with that one. I feel like he consoled himself with the idea that even though the movie had horror elements, what it was really about was like destructive interpersonal dynamics and. Um, psychological, like, dominance and masculinity, um, what, how problematic it could be. Like, that. that's really what he thought those movies are about. And you can trick yourself when you're making, like, a, who knows if Jonathan Demme thought he was making a horror movie with Silence of the Lambs, or Steven Spielberg thought he was making a horror movie with Jaws. Um, but... When you're making a slasher film, you absolutely cannot hide the fact that you're making a slasher film. Um, You're all in at that point. And I think that's one of the things that makes the subgenre really special. So to get ready for this episode, besides watching a lot of my favorite films and reading through all the comments and the voting, um, I also read some really spectacular books. Um, One of them is called Going to Pieces, The Rise and Fall of the slasher film 1978 to 1986 by Adam Rockoff. And I cannot possibly recommend this book more. It's super fucking smart, but it's also a book for horror fans. Like you, this isn't like a cinema book. It is that, but it's not exclusively that. So definitely check the book out. But the, the chapter one of that book is titled, what is a slasher film? And Adam Rockoff tells a really funny story about telling a gentleman named John Dunning, who was the producer of My Bloody Valentine and Happy Birthday to Me, that he was writing a book about slasher films. And his response shocked the writer when uh, when John Dunning said, what's a slasher film? I mean, when you're the producer of two legendary slasher films and you can't define it. (laughs) That means I'm in trouble right off the jump on this topic because I had to define it to talk about it. So um, I'm just going to I'm not he he gives in the Going to Pieces book a really elaborate, like five point definition, which is really smart of what truly makes a slasher film. But I'm not going to go through all that because. You're either gonna agree or disagree when I talk about the films I'm gonna talk about, or we go through the votes of what you know thousands of people who are responding to these posts on our various social media were voting for. Whether they were talking about actual slasher films, Um, a book is something you kind of talk to your friends, do research, and then put out into the world. A podcast is at least the way I'm doing the podcast is a lot more interactive. We're all kind of doing this podcast together. It's why most of the time the episodes are about questions I've asked to the horror weekly community. So, um, this is more real time. So you're either going to agree that these are slasher films or not. It's like that famous definition that the Supreme court said about pornography. We can't define it, but we know it when we see it, you're going to know it's a slasher film or not in your heart. When we, when I name the titles, so I'm going to dispense with the definition. The one thing I do want to delineate though before we jump into the movies themselves is there was one big question that I asked um It was a sub comment on the 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 post, and it was, "Are we considering Jollo films as slashers for the purposes of this vote?" And it was not unanimous. I'd say it was like 70-30 or like 65-35. But I'm going to abide by what the community said to not consider Jollo films uh, as slashers for the purpose of this. And I'm a little torn on it because Jolly are, uh, you know, in a lot of respects, at least before I recorded this episode, like some of my favorite slashers, but... Um, there were convincing arguments to me that it should be considered a separate thing, and on top of that, I, I love it as its own subgenre. I don't want to like absorb it into the slasher genre and make Jalo like a under its umbrella. It deserves to be its own thing because it's a there, There's are like really beautiful, really creative, really intriguing and mysterious films. Um, in their own right, and so they deserve their own strand. So uh, you may agree or disagree with that. That's fine, but I'm not going to be including um, Jala Films in uh, the voting or in the films I uh, uh, put on my own list. And maybe because of that, I'll just do an entire separate episode with the help of you all. Um, on uh, those films themselves because, oh my God, (laughs) Deep Red, Bay of Blood. I mean, Blood and Black Lace, it makes me so sad. Uh, (laughs) Twitch of the Death Nerve to not be talking about these films. Now, we'll work our way up to the movies that got the most votes. But before we get there, part of the fun of doing a poll like this or, or doing lists like these is there's, so I think of them in tiers. There's the very top tier... Uh, movies, those are the usual suspects that you'd suspect up there for the most part. But then there's a uh, a next tier of well, there's the next tier of movies that don't quite make the top tier to be to be honest. and then which in this case was cluttered with a a lot of franchise films and sequels, and that makes sense. But then there's a tier right behind that of movies that I was shocked got as much as support as they did and got as many mentions as they did um, that I truly did not expect. And there was one gem in there that I did not I hadn't hadn't seen. So I watched it before this episode and I am in love. So let's knock out the tier of surprising movies first. So the biggest surprise in the voting to me was how many votes Happy Death Day got, blew my mind, didn't expect it to even come up at all. And I'm also kind of amazed that Final Girls didn't come up, didn't get a single vote, at least from all the scrolling that I did through the responses, considering I consider those movies about equal, at least in their impact. I think Happy Death Day is just a more solid, less flawed movie overall than Final Girls. But I think Final Girls kind of has a unique place in modern slashers and how many emotions it evokes compared to how a lot of slashers are just kill fests. And when you walk out of the theater, you're just like, ooh, that was cool, but never feel an emotion for any of the characters because they're two-dimensional or just there to be slaughtered. Now, I noticed the movie just before Dawn got a surprising number of votes, not nearly enough to put it anywhere near the top, but like, noticeably more than a lot of the movies that I would consider a little bit more obscure. And somehow I had never seen it. So this is the movie I fell in love with. It's from 1981. It's directed by Jeff Lieberman. Um, It stars George Kennedy and Chris Lemon among a bunch of people. Um, And the synopsis line for it is, Five young people venture into the backwoods of Oregon to claim a property and find themselves being stalked by a hulking, machete-wielding psychopath. Now, I can't quite vote for this as the greatest slasher film ever made, but goddamn is it close. And it is one of my new favorites, now, Jeff Lieberman, the director, who also directed 1976's um, *Squirm*, um, he got a script uh, called *The Last Ritual*, and he thought the script was terrible. So the the uh, producers had wanted to cash in on you know the slasher film thing. Um, he told them the script is awful. And the only way I'm going to make the movie is if you let me adjust the script, there was like, they were like, as long as you keep it a slasher film, (laughs) um, it's in, I mean, the original movie script called for like some kind of, uh, like mass snake (laughs) attack or something weird. Lieberman changed it to more of a like wrong turn kind of killers feel. And the movie is absolutely gorgeous. And it gave me a weird Twin Peaks feel in parts, but holding on to that slasher core, not nearly as like quirky or uh, 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 ephemeral as Twin Peaks could be, uh, j- way more gritty, but still the the malevolence of nature, but how, how beautiful it can be, but how it can turn dark really fast. You can get lost, you can get isolated, um, you can get separated from your friends. The the There's a great s- a couple sequences in this movie where a high suspended rope bridge plays a key part to the fate of some of the characters. It's suspended over these falls that look, I mean, Twin Peaks, like, when you think about the credits, those roaring waterfalls is one of the first things you think of. You got that here except for, in this case, Um, Someone's going to fall, get sucked into these falls and basically get beaten to death uh, over some time, over some rocks, um, which is just a brutal way to go. There's a skinny dipping scene, which is like super creepy, just as if not more effective as the opening of Evil Dead Rise, which was the best part of that movie. The taunting glee of the killers in this film Torturing the teenagers with their own cameras and their own whistles, taking like snuff photographs of the murders while they're while they're happening, um, blowing the panic rescue whistles to emphasize to the victims that not only is no one coming, but we, the killers, find your little defense system hilarious. Just absolutely remarkable. And um, Deborah Benson, who plays Constance, who's essentially the final girl of this. She was, there was, there was a scene where she was just kind of in shock from how bad things were going. This is like a innocent, like it's think of the the trip they're going on. They're going like on a high hiking camping trip and it's basically playing out the way the descent plays out, except for not in caves. It's like way up at elevation, but it's the same vibe where they're there to, just have fun, but active fun, not like just hang out at a summer camp, like Friday the 13th style, but like, like really like rough it in nature and find beautiful spots and, and explore just really energetic, active stuff. And they think they can take on anything. They of course, typical horror movie fashion, ignore every warning they get from every character they come across. Um, and they, they, They really think they have nature by the balls. And then all of a sudden it all flips on them. And um, Constance is sitting at a campfire in shock and looking just beaten, looking like she could barely like if someone came around uh, from behind the trees to come kill her, that she might just accept it. And she has this really haunted look on her face where she's staring into the fire. And it reminded me so much of Cheryl Lee, the actor who played um, Laura Palmer um, especially with all the trees and all the nature behind her. Um, it, and then she becomes so fierce. She like digs down deep and it's written into the script. She's literally comments earlier in the movie, how disappointed she is in herself that she's not fighting back more. And then she, um, she finds it in herself to really fight back. And the end scene where she brings down um, the final killer is so unexpected visually and so brutal and goes on so long. And at, at the end, as she vanquishes the killer, the way she's standing over him and the way it's shot is so epic. It looks like it could be like the slasher movie version of that famous like photograph from Iwo Jima where the soldiers are raising the flag. If I think of one image that would represent to me like characters overcoming successfully slasher villains, this might be the one image burdened by retinas for all time. And it's still got, it's got some comedy. It's got some of the fun horror tropes like, There's a killer hitching a ride on the car where you don't expect the killer to be a la Cape Fear style. It's got the thing where they bring in the one most famous actor of all, and he's there to literally do nothing (laughs) for the vast majority of the movie except for say some lines. Collect the larger paycheck than anyone else. Put his name on the thing, and then maybe do something at the very end of the film, which in this case is George Kennedy. But it's very uh, similar to like the the role Glenn Ford plays in um, Happy Birthday to Me. There's an amazing scene where one of the um, one of the teens climbs up a tree to escape the killer, and the killer, instead of throwing stuff up at her to try to kill her or try to climb the tree after her, chops the tree down. <laughs> which takes time, right? Like we cut to other scenes, we come back, he's still chopping the tree down. An amazing choice by Lieberman here. And honestly, there's some deep stuff. There's a remarkable scene where Constance and um, Jonathan are, you know, standing in a stream. They're they're making out. The, The falls are above feeding into, you know, where they're standing in like a calmer area of the water and it's like the perfect moment. It's it's why you go on a trip like this to um, fall in love, to have fun, to connect with someone, to feel a little wild. And they're there's just they're making out and then the body of their friend comes flopping down the rapids and just lands on them while they're kissing. And it forget the rest of the film, right? You would just be scarred for life to have this beautiful moment ruined by the the corpse of your friend ramming into you like some kind of random log coming down the stream and that Constance who by miles the best character in the movie the the manner in which she kills the 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 villain in the end i had to even like think to myself <laughs> What actually killed him? <laughs> like, what are they going to put on the autopsy report? That is something you never think to yourself during a slasher film. I mean, someone gets beheaded or stabbed multiple times to death, um, or in the case of Scream, stabbed a million times, or the new Screams, stabbed a million times and don't die. Is <laughs> so thrown have an autopsy report, but whatever. You, you always know, and in this case, I think she actually suffocates the villain to death, but. I'm not entirely sure. You'll have to see the ending, or if you've seen the movie, you can message me and give me your theory on what actually killed the villain. But the fact that I even had to think about it is fucking amazing. So I just did not expect nearly as much greatness from this film as I got. Um, Is it the greatest slasher film ever made? Not quite, but man, did it come way closer than I would have suspected. Now, I'm going to make a lot of you mad here, I suspect, And I apologize in advance. But I'm going to unironically fight for the greatness of the film I Know What You Did last summer. Um, I mentioned I'd read some books getting ready for this podcast. There's an amazing um, book by Alexandra West called, uh, I think it's called The 1990s Teen Horror Cycle. Um, She has an entire chapter on I Know What You Did and I Still Know What You Did. And let me tell you something, I've read a lot of nonfiction and critical essays about horror movies, about the greatest ones, about Possession or Frankenstein or Cat People or Martyrs or whatever. And I haven't had, I, I've, I've had equal amount of fun, but never more fun, reading an actual chapter um Theorizing and describing a film as the one um, Alexandra West writes about, um, I know what you did last summer, and just the the fact of that alone is kind of remarkable. Because again, I was surprised; wouldn't have suspected, even though I've always loved that movie. And um, I, you know, the thing is, it's taken so many hits and such ridicule, and then run through the scary movie franchise ringer. Um, so much and then there's the Kevin Williamson of it all that it's just um it seems like it just didn't survive that what what culture <laughs> has put it through but I have a special theory about this and it's how it's tied to scream. I don't think I think I know what you did made scream even greater than it was over time or or you know like, polished the, the jewel of the Scream franchise um, by its very existence. And I think the Scream franchise, especially the way it's kind of gone over time and turned out with the modern incarnations of it, has secretly made, I know what you did last summer, even, well, it's shown as great as it might be as well. So hear me out on this. So it's an old time retro kind of slasher With no meta in it. And the meta monster that Scream unleashed on the horror genre in general and on itself, ultimately, is something that can get pretty tiresome. And I know what you did last summer. Kevin Williamson said in an interview to Fangoria magazine, he said, what I think makes it different from standard horror movies in the vein of like Halloween or Friday the 13th is it's not plot-driven, it's character-driven. Even though the horror, the horror, there's horror elements of the killer stalking victims, it's a character-oriented piece, is what he said. And it's funny that he mentioned Halloween in that, because I think what he's saying is right about even some of the greatest slasher films ever made, which are very much plot-driven, and if you're considering the plot as... We're not spending time getting into the characters. We're getting Jason from A to B to be able to kill X, Y, and Z characters. And I know what you did last summer. The characters very much bring their doom upon themselves. They're almost collaborating with the killer. But the reason I think it's funny that Halloween was mentioned in there is he could have named... A bunch of other horror classics. I think he's wrong about Halloween. I think John Carpenter is so economical and efficient a director. In just very brief strokes, with a couple words, with a little body language, with the right camera angle, we actually get to know the character of the people in the Halloween movie in a deeper sense than most slashers, it's just not as talky about it as Kevin Williamson is, which is probably why he doesn't notice it or didn't notice it then, which is why he made the mistake of naming Halloween one of the, one of the exceptions of the great slashers um, in his example. I think Halloween is equally as character-driven as I know what you did last summer. I think he's wrong about that. The only place he's right is I think John Carpenter... It is doing multiple things at once, whereas Kevin Williamson, this was his goal. This was the the thing he was trying to do with this movie. And John Carpenter is just a greater horror figure, ultimately, as influential uh, and, and interesting as Kevin Williamson has been over time for the genre. John Carpenter just is a, 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 a like a, a supernova in comparison. One of the interesting things about I Know What You Did is... That Lois Duncan, who wrote the original book that this was adapted from, fucking hated this movie, hated this adaptation, said it was one of the most painful experiences of her life watching this movie. And, you know, it's such an old thing that people say all the time. Of, oh, the book's better than the movie. Oh, my God. Every time I post about The Shining on the Horror Weekly pages, <laughs> I'm inundated <laughs> with comments of, uh, you know, it betrayed the book, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and you know, it's fine. I respect if you feel that way, you know, I'm a huge reader as you can tell from this podcast. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, whatever, but, um, I do like when it goes the other way and flips because I, I, the changes had to happen. I mean, Lois Duncan's book, not a single character dies. You can't make a horror movie where no one dies. The fact that she expected a faithful adaptation is absurd, There's an amazing paragraph in Alexandra West's book where she says in this world of, I know what you did last summer, nothing and no one is innocent. The dream of small town America has died and has been covered up by secrets that invade and corrode the lives of the best and brightest of the small town. These teens know that one misdeed, one mistake, one accident is enough to end their lives and ambition, but make them famous to the 24-hours news cycle. She makes really interesting mentions of, like, the O.J. Simpson trial and the predominance of shows like uh, Current Affair and Hard Copy and Inside Edition at this time, and how, like, you are going to be turned into a freak show. You're going to be doctor-filled to the public, and and it's going to mar the rest of your life if you admit the bad things you do or the mistakes you make. And she says something interesting, like you're trying not to, instead of trying to escape the monster in like a lot of horror movies, you're trying to avoid the monster feeding you to an even bigger monster. And the alternative is, and this is, you know, shown through the whole movie that you're just going to have like the most basic dreams fulfilled, right? You're going to, you're going to, um, be the quarterback for the Steelers. I mean, Cowboys, or you're going to be on the show guiding light um, as an actress. And you're going to elope to like the most basic places. Like they say in that one scene. Um, And they're interchangeable, right? The Europe, the Caymans, who cares, right? As long as it's like Instagrammable. And I don't mean like, I know Instagram wasn't a thing that time, but like that version of it. So it's either be shallow and live or be haunted uh, and survive, but be feel like drained and beaten down, um, or die. But it's ultimately the dance that I Know What You Did does with Scream. The fact that in I Know What You Did, Kevin Williamson is paying like homage to the slashers that he loved when he was a kid or a young man when he was growing up, and he wanted that feel without the trappings of the meta- Tongue in cheek, um, wink at the audience kind of feel. He wanted to be straight ahead, like like it was built in in the old times, in the great times of of the slasher film. And you know, as great as Scream is, um, the it's the two movies. It's like North Pole, South Pole. Like the Earth doesn't can't exist function in a healthy way without both poles. And to me, I really feel like everyone has, or not everyone, but like most people, I suppose, have lost sight of the fact that Kevin Williamson, who's one of the greatest practitioners of the slasher film to ever exist, um, really set up a dynamic of these two poles. And I know what you did became a joke to a lot of people, as far as I can tell. And scream became a legend And I think if we bring them back into alignment, they both become greater for it. You probably think I'm fucking crazy. I'm going to end up with a bunch of one star reviews for the podcast um, for this because it sounds insane, I suppose. But uh, again, unironically, uh, although I don't think it's perfect or the greatest slasher film ever made. uh, I think I Know What You Did last summer uh, deserves... Uh, a lot more um, recognition than it seems to be getting in the current times. Now that I've aggravated everyone, I'm sure I I might as well double down and go all in on one of my slasher movie obsessions. The last movie I'm going to talk about before we get to the top tier movies on the voting, which is 1981's Night School, directed by Ken Hughes and starring Rachel Ward. Um, Anyone who follows the page or listened to the podcast from the beginning probably knows that i'm obsessed with this movie it looks so much bigger budget than it should and it's such a unique um kind of film in the slasher genre in so f- it, from a, a bunch of angles as far as i'm concerned and I, it's like one of the most rewatchable slashers um i've ever encountered i don't don't know why i don't know why this movie hypnotizes me um, so much. But because Ken Hughes is I mean, so if you have ever seen the movie The Shootist, the John Wayne movie, the plot of that movie is it's an aging gunfire fighter who's dying of cancer and he doesn't want to die in bed. He wants to die on his feet. So he challenges all the great gunfighters in the land to a shootout. But he doesn't tell all of the he doesn't tell any of them that he's inviting the other ones. He's making sure he's outnumbered. They're all coming there to kill him. He's only one of him because he wants to die. But when the time comes, his reflexes, his instincts, he can't help himself. He dock holidays, everybody, um, and kills them all because he's just the best. Ken Hughes is just this legendary English director who made movies like Of Human Bondage, Casino Royale, the, the, the biopic Cromwell, um, and shitty, Chitty Bang Bang of all things. And then he's brought in at the end of his career for his very last film to make a slasher. And this old dog has a few new tricks up his sleeve. He pulls off one of the most unique slashers I've ever seen. Um, Surprisingly gory in parts. Incredibly inventive and creative kills. Great sequences where... You know the thing in slasher movies where you go around and you find all your friends' bodies or you find the bodies? There's an incredible sequence in this movie where someone gets decapitated. I mean, everyone's getting decapitated. That's the plot. That's what the killer's MO is. But um, where a killer um, decapitates a woman in a restaurant and then the killer vanishes and then the workers of the restaurant come in the next day to open up and they see the restaurant's a little smashed up and then customers start coming in. And you're just like, when's this head going to pop up? Or when's the headless body going to pop up? And the movie tortures you sadistically (laughs) for like three minutes of trying to guess. Like there's a pot of the big boiling pot of soup on the stove. Is the head in there? They start bringing the soup out to customers. Are they going to be like seeing eyeballs in their soup? There's like sinks filled with water. The dishwasher is like are reaching their hands in like is the head in there <laughs> like and the movie the the sheer evil glee that Ken Hughes of all people this beloved children's film director takes in um torturing us uh extending out when is this reveal going to happen and how gross is it going to be it's just so shocking and so fun now this movie was written by Ruth Avergon. And it was, you know, it's 1981. So everyone's trying to cash in on the post-Halloween thing. And there was this vague idea they came up with, which they called like someone running around Boston and decapitating people. But Avergon wasn't satisfied with that for just the premise of the picture. She wanted to make something a little bit more um, interesting. She's a, she was a trained pianist. She was a sketch comedy writer. Um, she worked on the Boston Film Board. Um, and she did some research on headhunters from Papua New Guinea. Worked that into the, the basic idea for the script and came up with this remarkable film. It's got incredible atmosphere. The opening sequence is so bizarre and captivating. The kill... The manner of the kill is so visually interesting, absolutely unforgettable. It's one of those things where um, I didn't see this as a kid, but if I had, you could have asked me like 40 years later, what's the one movie that starts out with like the merry-go-round kill? And I'd be like, oh, nice, cool. The filmmakers knew they had a a astounding um, location in Beacon Hill and they really used the film to uh, exhibit the, the environment for the characters um, in just like an incredible way. It's atmospheric in the way that Hammer films are atmospheric, but it's like American Hammer atmosphere. And I think I've said this before at some point about this movie, but um, without giving everything away about it, uh, it is it does something no slasher movie that I can think of has ever done, which is it does a hunting sequence character in peril sequence where you're so terrified for the character. You're so worried uh, that this character is in mortal danger um, and it goes on in 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 multiple The the characters under multiple threats. Um, and it's not until the end of the film that you realize that that character is the villain. That character is the killer. You were you spent a chunk of this movie scared to death that the killer was gonna get got. Um, it, it would be like uh, spending you know eight minutes of a Friday the 13th movie. Uh, you know, worried to death that Jason was going to get dispensed with. It's just, it's a a feeling that no other slasher movie has ever given me. And the audacity to build the story this way is remarkable. And I'm just so goddamn proud of Ken Hughes, who has a decades long career in film, um, takes on a slasher movie and doesn't like, sigh and be like oh I'm just here to make money or whatever but like gives it the the gusto and the film craft and the and the authority uh the stamp of all the things that he's learned over his long career with just as much force as any other movie he's ever worked on um absolutely uh neutral about like where it's not even neutral it's just absolutely like Without even consideration of or the possible looking down on the genre that he's in, he he treats it like anything else. And that, as horror fans, is, I mean, such a gift, especially from someone coming from mostly outside of the genre. It's all we could ever ask from someone like this. If you haven't seen it, find this movie, seek it out. You likely will not love it as much as I do, since I barely ever hear anyone talk about it. Um, which should tell me something, but goddamn, if even one of you, um, finds in this movie what I find in it, and we, I didn't even like because I don't want to like make the whole episode about this, but I didn't even talk about the the performance of Rachel Ward, who is uh like a smoldering force of of, of uh intelligence and mystery and um. Great dialogue and repartee like with the other characters. Just amazing. All right, now to the voting. So it was close, way closer than I would have suspected. In fact, only at my last count by a couple dozen votes out of more than a thousand um, is John Carpenter's Halloween as the greatest slasher film ever made. Now, I was surprised by the movies or the order of movies that came in behind it. I was surprised on the plus side by the support heavy support behind Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Scream, who were basically in the two and three position and kind of the lesser ish support for Nightmare on Elm Street, which got a lot of votes, but. Um, not enough to push into the top. It was basically tied with psycho um, around the five, six position. And I think most remarkable to me was the fact that in basically fourth place or third, depending on how we're doing the ties is the original Friday the 13th. And that when I asked a single greatest film, so it'd be different if we were talking about greatest slasher franchises, right? But Even I would have trouble coming up with the greatest Friday the 13th film. Is it two? Is it four? Is it six? Is it one? But there were so many votes for the original and they were so passionate. And then in seventh place comes Black Christmas. So that is the top, top tier. Then there's basically two movies in like the peak second tier which were My Bloody Valentine and The Burning. And in like 10th place was the vote, I'm not going to pick, you can't make me. <laughs> there were so many people who basically were like, I, you can't do this to me. I'm not choosing between my children. And more than any vote we've ever done on our pages, um, the proportion of that kind of answers that I, that I refuse to choose, <laughs> Um, this is the highest ratio of that, which I just, again, is a testament to how um, uh, passionate people are about this subgenre and about how nostalgic and emotional the slasher movies can be for a certain kind of horror fan. There were just great comments um, sprinkled throughout here. Let me start with people from the subscriber group, our small and mighty um, direct support Horror Weekly community. If you want to join, I'll put the link uh, in the show notes it's $2.99 a month. That's it. You come into the group, you participate or lurk. doesn't matter. Um, You're just supporting this podcast. Go. You can leave at any time. As soon as you leave, everything's canceled. You don't have to do anything, but, but leave, like put a button (laughs) and exit. Um, So you can come in. uh, You can directly talk to me, give suggestions for podcast episodes, um, talk to the other incredibly smart people in the community who are helping me build this thing. From the ground floor, but Tracy V subscriber, thank you for supporting, um, said in a comment, I have to go with Halloween 1978. It's the reason I am the horror fan I am today. Plus the childhood memories of watching it with my mother holds this movie close to my heart. True story, I have never watched any Friday the 13th movie because I always felt like I would be cheating on Michael. Yes, I just said that out loud. This is one of my favorite comments that's ever been put on the page. I love it. I'm going to break my own rule here because uh, he's a subscriber, first of all. Um, so it gets priority. And second of all, because um, he's consistently one of the most thoughtful um interesting, intelligent commenters on the page. But David Joshua Smith said, there are scary slashers, cheap slashers, ultra gory slashers, seedy evil slashers, and even funny slashers. But the one that really stuck with me long after my initial viewing was Dario Gento's Deep Red. Infused with a classical painterly eye, Hitchcockian plotting and flawed hero, a menacing atmosphere, gory, wince-inducing deaths, an infection, infectious goblin soundtrack and Argento's trademark style. Nobody ever forgets that automaton. It's my personal favorite slasher and my vote for the greatest slasher ever made. If you ever want to do a, a joint podcast episode with me, um, message me on the page and, and let me know. I'll figure the tech out for it because goddamn, are you good? And, the, the, you know, I wasn't going to talk about Jalo movies, but this comment was just it forced its way into the conversation by how perceptive it is. Now, let me tell you, um, from the voting, it didn't get quite enough. Um, I think it was in the top 10. I'd have to recheck my list, but it's, if it's in the top 10, it's like nine or eight, um, is Candyman, And I honestly think if I had to go outside of, All of your top votes. If I had to get out of the Halloween, Friday the 13th, Scream, Elm Street bracket and pick a movie that I legitimately to my heart believe is the greatest slasher movie ever made um, for real, not favorite, not like most rewatchable, like in a lot of the arguments I've been making, but just... Um, in terms of every way that you could judge a film, in terms of the elements that make it up as a recipe, um, its legacy, its influence, its true value um, in terms of how scary it, I don't know how scary it is to, you know, a, like an 18-year-old today, like time passes by everything. I mean, Frankenstein in the 30s was making audiences pass out in their seats. But Candyman got just shy of 100 votes. Very respectable. Um, I didn't see any kind of comment that that really fleshed out. I could have missed. I mean, I I, I have to do a lot of reading, getting ready for these um, and juggle other stuff, uh, too. Um, So if you want me to have more time to do this with you all and you can join the supporter page, um, every new supporter buys me a few extra minutes a week. To devote to this, but um, Candyman, you know, I you all know what it is. I don't, I don't want to make a convoluted argument for it. I just my gut tells me that it's uh, the movie along like along with Nightmare on Elm Street, which really um, took the slasher genre sideways in the most interesting and kind of special way. Um, and so there's the straight ahead Friday the 13th, Halloween, Texas Chainsaw Massacre kind of slasher. And then there's what I think of as a little bit of the more creative kind of slasher, um, where it's not, I don't know how to explain it. <laughs> I mean, it's what I'm supposed to be doing here is explaining things. And I just find words, family. I just think Candyman, um, is, was for a while, because I asked everyone I came across. I might have told this story. I'm, I'm sure I've told story, um, on the story on a, maybe a live stream for the page, maybe in a podcast episode itself. But I've spent my entire life asking people, what's the single scariest movie you've ever seen? Just people I know, people in conversation, people I've worked with or friends. Um, and uh, it's uh, the answer, f- you know, went different by generations, right? Like older people were saying Psycho and the Birds, Uh, or old relative, older people to the time. Um, And then there are are certain people who are like The Ring, but there was a pocket of time. There were like three or four years there where I heard Candyman as the answer to that question so many times. It was like legendarily scary. Um, And now it's, I guess, talked about less so. It's the same kind of thing that's happened to The Shining, which was once considered the scariest movie ever made. But just the unbeatably unique combination of Virginia Madsen and Tony Todd, it's like it's so remarkable. It draws full power, like without like like drawing power from a battery without like without letting a a drop slip, like getting the full. Like when you throw that battery away, it's empty. There's not like point oh oh two percent of power left in that battery it's drained out completely. It drew all the power from the urban legend idea, but not in the cheesy one handed hook hanging from the doorway or he's in the back backseat you know, kind of way um, where those urban legends had power at the time in the 40s and 50s or wherever they originated from. But they become, you know, a little worn away with cliché. It drew the as much power and energy as you can get from the urban legend story, um, but but in a in a savage, razor sharp kind of way. It has iconic associations like the bees and the character stepping out of the mouth that are instantly recognizable that no other slasher movie shares. And let's face it, it's really difficult to end a movie. I mean, it's harder with sequels because they seem to drop the ball on this so often. But even the great, like Nightmare on Elm Street is one of the greatest slasher movies ever made. And the ending is bad. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) bad's a relative word, (laughs) but the, the mom being sucked through the door is a mistake. As far as I'm concerned, the car thing is fine. That part is, is cool. But, um, it's, it's a, it's a wrong step. It's like, you're you're doing that free solo thing and you miss a foothold or a handhold and you're hanging there by one hand and you recover. I mean, it's a classic. It's one of the greatest slasher movies ever made, like I said. But it's a false step. And Candyman has an absolutely note-perfect ending. It's got one of the greatest scores of all time. So I think after digging through all your votes and comments, after reading the books I read, after watching the movies I watched and I, you know, I just don't have time to cover. <laughs> There's so many slashers. Um, I didn't even get to the modern um, slashers. The Strangers franchise, Pray at Night is is a little underappreciated, I think. Um, Eden Lake, um, the second movie in the Fear Street trilogy. I think after all that, after considering and mulling it all over, my answer my personal answer, not the community answer, you guys answered Halloween, but my answer for the best slasher film ever made. Um, oh, and I didn't mention Peeping Tom, which I didn't truly consider a slasher, but maybe I'm just wrong on that. Uh, if it is, it's definitely uh, in the conversation up there because I think it's just a a touch better than Black Christmas um, and, like, I'm very sympathetic to the fact that one of the greatest directors in the history of cinema, Michael Power, Michael Powell destroyed his entire career for all time by making that movie. That kind of sacrifice, that kind of, like, immolating yourself, like, throwing yourself off the cliff onto the Midsummer Rocks for the sake of your art kind of move that he made with Peeping Tom uh, means that he should be considered... But after all that, I think my answers for the greatest slasher film of all time are either Halloween or Candyman, or if you could somehow impossibly combine them like in a quantum computing kind of way into one film, Scream, and I Know What You Did Last Summer, those would be my three answers for the greatest slasher films of all time. With just so much magnificence behind them, it hurts my heart. Not to be saying Texas Chainsaw Massacre. But this was just such a fun and interesting episode for me. Thank you to everyone who commented. Like there were comments I, I, I found one from Melissa Ellis who kind of summed up the, the 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 tone of this conversation or how it went in a way that was just um emotionally richer than you would ever suspect for a subgenre considered by the, the normie world um, as, as trash or sleaze or um, not worth the time to spend any um, intelligent thought on. She said, I'm a Halloween girl, so I naturally want to throw my support in that direction. But I feel like it was so much more than just a slasher. I honestly find my heart being tugged toward Friday the 13th with this. The OG, two, four, six, I actually love the 2009 version, but choosing from those as the best is difficult because they each have their strengths and weaknesses in the deciding factor. I mean, you all put more hearts and more smarts into your voting on this than most people do in in their voting for fucking presidents. And honestly, I could rerun this poll two years from now when a whole... Different crop of people have joined the community. Hopefully none of you have left, um, but the mix gets a little different or I rewatch it and just think about it a different way and two years from now, we all pick Psycho. <laughs> Who knows? That's part of the fun of it. But you all are amazing. You made the conversation so interesting. It was a pleasure to do. Um, as I mentioned, because I uh, Facebook's um Price point they can set for to join the subscriber group. The lowest you can put it is 299 I wanted to set it at the lowest. Um, even if you come in and don't stay and you're just in there for a couple months because you want to give a little bit of support, um, I appreciate it. Um, we all appreciate it. It would make me able to find better ways to edit this and get a little more tech for it, make it a little less lo-fi than it because um, it has to come out week to week as I do- juggle different jobs on top of this. Because that support threshold is low, it would take um, more people to make an impact than just one or two a week, which is kind of the pace at which we're moving. So um, if you believe in what we're doing here and you also want to support the page, because that's um, really the heart of this uh, in tandem with the podcast, I will put that link in the show notes and um, look for it and know that you have my thanks. I've been looking to add some music to this bare bones enterprise and a little bit more support might make that happen. Who knows? So anyway, thank you so much for listening. Uh, And again, for the comments and the votes, Uh, that's the only way this podcast exists. There you have it. Uh, We have slashed our way through an incredibly worthy, rich, interesting field of movies. Uh, Let's do this again next week. Until Wednesday, have a great Horror Week.